Welcome to the Iowa Agronomy Update, where we talk all things agronomics. I'm your host, Brent Schwinnaker, and this podcast is brought to you by Asgro DeKalb Brand Seeds. Hey everyone, and welcome to uh, episode 10 of the Iowa Agronomy Update. And today we've got a uh, friend of the podcast, Jim McDermott, back. Hey Jim, how are you? Uh, doing well, Brent. Uh, how about yourself today? Oh, good. Hey, it's a Friday. It's uh, We're winding down and kids are getting ready to go back to school. So it's uh, that time of year, which means we're probably getting close to harvest. Oh, absolutely. I just took another uh, uh, child of mine to Iowa State this week, so... Uh... Kind of a fun time, but also a little bit uh, bittersweet. But yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely heading uh, into the harvest season, and that is always fun. It is a good time of year. It seems like we, you know, we kind of cram this crop in the ground fast, and then we blink blink our eyes twice, and then next thing you know, we're we're uh, talking about how how we're going to get this crop out of the ground. So, um, but hey, today we thought uh, we'd got a couple topics that we wanted to go through, and. Uh, first off, let's let's start with beans today, Jim. And I wanted to touch on uh, this new uh, newer pest here in soybeans that we're seeing along the western edge uh, of the state, and it's the soybean gall midge. What, uh, Jim? What have, what have you seen in a few of your counties uh, with this pest? Yeah, certainly uh, seems like we we don't need additional problems or challenges to manage, but. Uh, this is one that does seem to uh, be coming into the area, especially Western Iowa. Um, officially, it's been identified in, in Iowa since 2016. Uh, last year, 2017 was the first year I had seen any of it. And it's up to uh, 12 counties that it's been identified in. More than likely, it's probably uh, out there in more than 12 counties, but maybe just hasn't been uh, confirmed. Um, but this year, it did seem to uh, really come on strong. And, you know, as we get into this, I think the common theme is there's still a lot to learn. We, we don't know a lot. Um, we do know that this midge is a, a fly. It's a very weak fly. It doesn't really have the strength to fly very far, but it essentially uh, comes in from the edges of the fields, uh, lays eggs in either the ground or in the soybean stem itself. And then as those larvae hatch out, uh, they feed you know, right on that uh, stem of the soybean. And and of course, uh, that can cause some major problems, um, not only in interfering with the uh, transfer of nutrients of that plant, but uh, can just plain kill the plant or cause it to uh, break off and, and uh, just snap right over. Uh, so a pretty devastating pest uh, that, that we're dealing with now. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I'm guessing here, uh, I haven't seen it myself here, so I'm going to rely on, on your, your expertise here, Jim. So I, I'm guessing by the time you see those symptoms, it's, it's obviously too late. Um, and, and we, we probably really haven't identified a, a management plan for it yet either, have we? Uh, no, we really haven't. We just have so much more to learn. But the key thing is to identify it. And, and the main thing with identification is if you're seeing plants that um, you know, don't look right or just plain dead, especially on the edge of the field, uh, split that plant open, especially at the base right near the soil line. And they are fairly easy to identify. Once you split that stem open, 
Um, if it's the uh, soybean gall midge that's causing the problem, you're going to see either a, a white kind of translucent or orange as they mature, they'll, they'll get to an orange color, but you'll see that little larvae right in there. And, and most of the time that I've split open stems, um, it's multiple. Uh, it's, you know, it can be up to a dozen larvae. So uh, they're fairly easy to find once you split that stem open. Uh, with just looking at the plant, there's no way for sure of knowing whether it's uh, stem canker, uh, phytophthora. Uh, you know, you just really have to split that stem. And then we're, we're telling producers um, you know, just to get a handle on how big a problem we're dealing with. If you do find the soybean gall midge in your field, um, either let Iowa State Extension know or let Iowa Soybean Association know. Um, in fact, the, uh, uh, the, the website research at iasoybeans.com would be one that you can uh, go into and then you can uh, report what you're finding for soybean gall midge is I think that, you know, the better handle we can get on as far as the extent of the problem, uh, hopefully the more we can learn and the more we can identify some, uh, some management uh, tactics to take with this particular pest. Jim, what, what kind of, what kind of devastation are, are we seeing in some of these pockets? So, I mean, what, I mean, is it just edge of the field and small pockets? Are we, are we talking, uh, you know, acre size uh, pockets or, or what, what are we seeing? Well, so far, most of the damage is on the edge of fields. Uh, I've seen uh, personally outside several rows have 25% of the plants dead. Uh, so uh, very devastating. I've seen pictures where it's even worse than that, where you have to practically have the outside six rows uh, almost all dying. Once you get out into the field, you definitely have seen less issues as far as the number of dead plants uh, but you know really out into even middle of fields I'll still find uh, you know one to five percent of plants that uh, that are dead or dying uh, so it's it's pretty devastating um, you know and obviously you look at uh, what can you do for management and and right now that's the challenge you know once this larvae is inside the stem uh, the insecticides really don't uh, have a have a chance to, to reach where they're at so you don't have much activity there um, I think that the key will be figuring out the life cycle as far as when the fly actually is laying eggs and when they move into that field you know I in theory if you could uh, know when they're on the move and maybe even try to spray on the borders of fields you might be able to to knock them down as they're laying eggs or before they lay eggs but again we just don't know enough about the timing on that to really make a good recommendation. Uh, the other thing, Brent, I guess, to bring up is the question on seed treatments. You know, we use some insecticide with seed treatments. Uh, would that possibly help? Uh, but by the time this uh, soybean gall midge seems to come into the field, you know, we really have, have had enough time between our planting dates that uh, we just don't have uh, that insecticidal property still present there in the plant. So we really have not seen the seed treatments uh, planting time uh, have an effect in this particular case. Yeah, that that's a good point there on on that residual activity in the plants probably long gone by the time this this uh, this fly is is laying eggs. So uh, I, I've read a couple other things here, Jim, and I, I don't know if you've seen any trends. I've I've heard uh, you know maybe it, it needs a a diseased or wounded plant maybe or any trends on 
on field edges that are, are worse than others? Any host plant maybe uh, on those field edges that are worse than others or any trends that we've seen yet or not? Well, yeah, and as, I guess as far as the point on the uh, either decaying or, or dead material, I think that was really the, the first thought that uh, this larvae had to have uh, dead material to be able to live. And, and I know I've personally seen uh, stems that are green and uh, larvae surviving very well. So I, I, th I think at least from what I've seen personally and what I've heard others see uh, and talk about, it is able to survive on uh, both decaying and dead material as well as some live plant tissue or stem tissue. Um, so that, you know, that makes it uh, even more of a challenge to deal with. Um, as far as the, you know, the host plants or, you know, trying to figure out why some fields or why some areas, uh, that's really an unknown. Uh, I don't know of anything that's been identified as far as host, host plants. You know, you think about soybean aphids, for example, they have the buckthorn and, uh, you know, you can track that pretty, pretty well. We, we have high populations of buckthorn. Soybean aphids are going to probably get their start there. But uh, to my knowledge, there's no host plant or host area. Uh, you know, being as they start in on the edge, it seems like they are coming out of grassy areas. But uh, again, I think that's at this point still an unknown yeah, so seems like a lot of unknowns, and and like you said, let's uh, if if you are finding them, let's go ahead and, and get them reported. Uh, more info information, the better. the The one trend that I am seeing here, Jim, is a it was a Western Iowa along the the river here theme. Is this is this something else that maybe we could blame on the Husker State to the west or not? <laughs> well, you hate to offend anybody, but. Uh... Uh, officially, uh, they they were first identified in Nebraska in 2011. So, um, so it seems so, that's that's so, the origination. So, uh, yeah, if we want to blame them, I think we can. Brad. Yeah. So the easy answer there is yes. So good. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so uh, we we've gotten a lot of these uh, good uh, August rains here for the bean crop, uh, and that's always something that we we kind of keep our fingers crossed on, and always got a good looking crop, and then. It either rains or it doesn't, and we've we've gotten a few of these showers here. So, what um, what's the crop look like in bean crop, and and what varieties are maybe uh, kind of popping out right now in plots in in your eye? Yeah, you know, like we've talked about before, especially for Northwest Iowa, we've got things all over the board. You know, our our planting window on soybeans uh, literally went from April through July. Um, in fact, I do know of. Uh, uh, beans that got planted in the month of August, even, mm. um, you know, of course, cover crop and filling in some wet holes, but uh, such a wide planting window. We've obviously got soybeans that are all over the board on both growth stage, as well as, as how they look for yield potential. Um, overall though, especially with some of the August rains that we've had, uh, I think we're, we're in pretty good shape as far as our pod fill. We've got a lot of soybeans that are getting into R5, R6. Uh, R5 is when we're just starting to fill out the the seed on the top pods r6 is when we've got that full seed side seed size and that's very important right now especially for northern iowa because we have soybean aphids that are really starting to take off hmm. some of this cooler weather apparently is helping them on their reproduction and once we get that soybean plant especially to r6 or full seed size 
uh, then we're pretty well past the point where we should have to worry about the uh, soybean aphids, especially where we've got some good moisture. Uh, sometimes if those plants are under drought stress, uh, then maybe those aphids can still do some damage late season. But for, for the most part, where we've got beans planted in May and, and even early June, we're, we're pretty well getting right about to that point where we're, we're past that soybean aphid uh, threat. You know, mentioning some of the varieties, um, you know, we're, we've really got a lot of new ones out this year. Uh, the X9 class introduced for 2019 and really three of the key ones, I guess, for our area that uh, have looked good in plots. And uh, we think they're, they're going to be key players for us next year are AG20X9s, AG24X9s and AG25X9s. And it all depends on, on where you're at with some of our, our key varieties, but uh, those three as well as some of the other new ones uh, uh, we feel are going to be key players for next year. Yeah, you, it's, it seems to me uh, we're, we're really bringing in uh, a set of disease characteristics here uh, and combinations of characteristics that we, we haven't seen before in some of these new varieties. Well, that's exactly right. Um, you know, the last few years we've had some SDS and we've certainly dealt with uh, white mold and, and always are looking at uh, beans that are good in iron chlorosis. So we've got uh, some varieties that really bring in the combination of, of those three characteristics in a, in a very strong way. So pretty excited on the lineup next for next year, Brent. Yeah. And I, I think any, anybody that walks soybean plots that, that can guess yield right now is, is lying to you, but <laughs> uh, I certainly uh, what we're looking for right now is, is basically uh, canopy closure, maybe some lodge, early lodging scores and, and just overall plant structure right now. And then we'll uh, see what yield numbers look like, but certainly a lot of good looking plant structures and, and disease characteristics out in the field right now. So. Well, absolutely. And, and I, I would just mention there's, there are diseases present. Uh, so you keep, want to keep an eye on that. And, you know, I'd mentioned with stem canker and even phytophthora can look similar to the uh, soybean gall midge, but keep an eye. I have seen a little bit more of the uh, stem canker this year. Um, it's a it's a disease that uh, will come in and, and, and kill plants fairly quickly as well. Um, sudden death syndrome and white mold is, is just starting to show in our area. I haven't mm. seen anything very widespread, but uh, definitely want to take note of those. And on some of the diseases, uh, especially like a stem canker or phytophthora, and even as, as far as the soybean gall midge, if we do have some heavy infestations, um, you may want to target those fields towards a little earlier harvest, uh, if at all possible, uh, just because of that stem quality. Uh, as it gets later into the harvest season, uh, we may just have more chances where those stems would uh, snap off or break over. So just one thing to keep in mind uh, if we're looking at our fields right now. Yeah. You mentioned early harvest, Jim. I think that's a good segue into our, our corn crop here in the state. Uh, we, we're 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 trucking right along here. We're, we're seeing uh, a lot of different things. And, and I think the key word here is, is probably variability uh, from, from corner to corner and border to border. Uh, we, we've, we've gone from, uh, you know, your area fighting to get the corn crop in and South, Southern Iowa, you know, getting, getting a good start. And, and now all of a sudden uh, that, that corn that's further along in Southern Iowa, we're starting to see a lot of variability and stress and, and maybe that'll be headed your way here shortly. But, um, you know, we've seen diseases, we've seen nitrogen loss, uh, wet holes, potholes, 
all the above, but overall, um, still seems like we're running that, you know, what, two, two to 300 heat units ahead of a schedule here, Jim, or is that still where we're at on pace or not? Yeah, that's really right about where we're at, uh, depending on where you're at, but, uh, and your planting date, but, uh, just looking at some of the late April planting dates, it is right at 200 heat units ahead of the long-term average. Um, and if we get into the, the early May planting, it's even a little bit more than that. Um, some cases about 220 heat units ahead. And then even our late May, uh, we had a fair amount of corn planted uh, the 21st, that, that window of May. And those dates are running about 150 heat units ahead of the long-term average. So uh, that's, that's been a good thing. You know, we've moved the crop along very well. I guess really at this point, though, we do want to kind of keep in mind what our black layer dates potentially might be and, and be, be ready because as, as slowly as we got a start to the season, at least up in Northwest Iowa, uh, we're going to be black layering uh, well ahead of average. Mm-hmm. And just to throw a few dates with that, um, again, going back to that early planting window for us of the last weekend of uh, April, um, for example, a 108 day hybrid is projected to black layer about the 6th of September. And that's a full two weeks ahead of the long-term average. Um, if you jump into that next planting window around the 7th of May, uh, we're looking at potentially black layering around the, uh, the 10th of September, again, for 108-day hybrid. And then uh, for that later window, that May 21st planting window, again, for 108-day hybrid, that's uh, putting it at about the, uh, the 29th of September. Um, and that's about uh, a week ahead of the, the long-term average. Uh, so, you know, we run, range from two weeks to a week ahead of the long-term average for our black layer date. So um, something to keep in mind, I guess, as, as we start to schedule harvest and, and look, at, look at when we're going to be out into the fields. And as a matter of fact, silage harvest in some of these areas, uh, uh, we'll be starting probably within 10 days here for some areas in northwest Iowa. Yeah, a number of guys started here last uh, last Monday in, in the southern part of the state, so certainly a sign that, that things are ahead of schedule. When we think uh, stress and, and, and those type of dates, you know, I, I've, I've heard estimations here in the southern part of some of that early corn planted early down this way of, of like a September early, early September, September 1st-ish black layer date, you know, and if you think about early September, there, there's still good potential for heat units to come uh, in, in early September. What, what can we think about as, as issues um, to watch out for once we hit black layer and we can dry down awful quick uh, at that point? Right, and that's a good point, Brent, because uh, for black Larry that early, especially the early part of September, you know, good chance that we can drop at least a point, if not more, in, in moisture per day. Uh, so you know, we can have some of this corn go rapidly. And I guess especially when you look at, at certain fields that uh, we have seen some cannibalization. You know, we've seen some, some yellowing out there. Um, we've got some cases that uh, certainly had some nitrogen loss. Maybe we had some poor root development from wet soils early. In, in those situations, we have seen the firing. And, and of course, to see that in early to mid-August uh, does make you a little bit nervous. So some of those fields that have yellowed and, and, and really have started 
cannibalization of that plant, uh, you know, those are going to be the ones to watch as we get into mid to late September uh, for that stock quality concern. Yeah, and I'm I'm wondering here, Jim, if we <clears throat> as we move north and and when we were awful wet there early, ha, have we seen all of the effects of some of those planting dates come come through yet? Are we are we still maybe hiding some of those things uh, below ground? Well, right, you know the, the 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 sins never go away, as they say, especially at planting time and. You know, there was there was a, a very challenging planting season, especially for the northern part of Iowa. And as some of that seed got put into a little bit wetter soil, there was sidewall compaction. And we just did not have the 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 early root growth that you'd like to see. And you know, some some fields eventually looked better, uh, but if we don't have that uh, that root development start early, uh, it seems like it's always tracking behind. And and uh, I think it has shown. Uh, we had a, a stretch of about three weeks of a little bit drier weather, and uh, that stress started to show pretty quickly, I think, again, from lack of root development. And then also with the nitrogen uptake, um, when we have dry weather, some poor roots, uh, it, it really interferes with that plant's ability to take in nitrogen late season. So I, I think you're right on that we just, without that, that good solid root development, uh, it's, it's led to some problems here as far as... Uh, cannibalization and as far as the yellowing that we're seeing late season yeah jim <clears throat> jim you've mentioned cannibalization here a couple times uh in this corn stock maybe let's go a little deeper into that as far as what what is that stock actually doing why is it cannibalizing and where's that energy from that stock going well sure you know you look at of course what the corn plant is bred to do it is all about reproduction so it's going to put everything it can into that developing kernel. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's a good thing. That's what we want. Uh, it, it just becomes a matter of partitioning. If, if we've got uh, somewhat of a stress uh, of lack of uh, moisture or, or lack of nutrient uptake, um, that plant, as you get towards um, early dent or especially full dent, when you're really filling that kernel, adding that test weight and starch, uh, it's going to take it wherever it can. And so uh, at this point of the season, uh, if it's not uh, taking it from the soil, uh, doesn't have enough available, it is going to start taking it from the plant itself. And uh, that's usually where you'll see that lower leaf uh, part of the plant start to fire. Um, you'll, you'll lose those lower leaves, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But once you start taking it out of the stalk, um, then you potentially are going to be cutting into that stock quality and, and it just leaves that plant uh, much more susceptible to any sort of uh, anthracno stock rot or some of the other stock rots that can come in as we get into uh, September and especially October. So, you know, that's, it's, it's really all about partitioning. That plant is taking, uh, taking away from Peter to, to pay Paul basically to, to, to fill out that ear. Yeah. It's going to be tricky. I, I sense a uh, maturing corn crop and, and bean crop here that, that are going to be ready at the same time. I know we always talk about wanting to get those soybeans harvested at 13% and, and corn at the right time uh, in that early 20s to late teens, depending upon your system and setup. But I sense a feeling here that both those crops are going to be at the, the optimum time at the same time. So 
uh, picking your battles is going to be key as well. Yeah, and I think you're right on there. Um, the heat units that we've had uh, uh, really tend to show up more in the corn. In other words, the corn moves along with the heat units a little bit more than the soybeans, uh, especially with where we've had them so far earlier in the season. Uh, so by relationship, I think the corn is a little bit ahead of growth stage as compared to the soybeans uh, just for the time of the year we're at. So, you know, if we get that hot, dry weather here over the next month, the soybeans can certainly move quickly as well. But, uh, you know, so far, it you know, looks like there's some opportunity to harvest corn for, for grain uh, before some of the soybeans are ready. Um, again, that may change depending on the weather over the next month, but uh, it just it looks like our corn is, is coming in uh, fairly fast right now. So I guess uh, that's, that's one recommendation is keep an eye on where you're at for your, your black layer and, and where you're at for your growth stage to uh, be on top of that, uh, that corn. Yeah, we, <clears throat> we're, I'd say we're, we're coming in hot and we're coming in sideways here pretty fast. So <laughs> we, we've, we've talked a lot of kind of doom and gloom stuff, kind of the, the things that we're seeing as far as, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of things and variability. What, um, what are some of the good things we're seeing in, in some of these newer products, Jim? Well, and, you know, and just in general, if, for the challenges that we have had during the growing season, uh, well, we do have a lot of areas that uh, are looking extremely well. I was at a field day last night in Plymouth County and uh, you know, really uh, some of the, the best looking corn I've seen. I mean, it, it really is, is uh, good in, in certain areas. It's just uh, you know, across the board, we have got a lot of variability, but uh, for what we've gone through, we're really not in too bad a shape. Now you mentioned products and uh, just like on the soybean side, very excited on the corn side with what we have with some uh, brand new hybrids coming in, especially right in the mid maturities for us. Uh, we've got a DKC uh, 5474 at 104 day that uh, really looks like it's going to have top end potential. Um, there's a new DKC 5553 that looks like will be very good on both the offense and the defense, very good agronomics on that product. And then at 108 day, uh, we've got a new one, DKC 5834, um, as well as its uh, double pro counterpart will be a DKC 5835. Um, that, that genetic family uh, really looks like it's going to fit well into our area, um, again, for both the top end as well as having some defensive characteristics, um, solid agronomics across the board. So those three I'm especially excited about for our area and what they can do for, for pushing that yield level even higher. I can, I can tell you from our plot here at the Huxley area, I can tell you that 5834 looks like it's going to be a fit for a lot of the state. Uh, a lot of disease pressure down this way, and its defensive characteristics are really, really shining through. Uh, uh, you mentioned the the new 104 and 100 and 105 day. Is that something that you feel like can take some pressure off of uh, your standby, uh, you know, 5440 family? Yeah, I think it definitely can. You know, that's that family has uh, been around a number of years and is, there's a reason it's still around. It's been very consistent, uh, very solid, especially agronomically. Um, we think these new products uh, can bring in uh, even more top end yield. So uh, that's, that's really what, what it's all about is pushing that yield level even higher. And <clears throat> with some of the advanced tools that we have now in, in the breeding program, you know, that percent of gain percent yield gain uh, comes on even faster than it used to. So, 
that's one of the reasons we're real excited about these products to to see how much we can gain just in in plain top end yield potential good yeah well good stuff jim uh it's uh like you said we we've uh we've been through we kind of started this podcast off you know back in back in april and we were talking high yield and and now we're talking you know estimated black layer dates and and things gone really fast and and uh excited to see what we've got in the field here and and anxious to move on and and see some results so um but also it's also going to be football season so we're uh we got to get some tailgating in at Cyclone Games and, and go that route too. So <laughs> exciting time of the year in more ways than one. But yeah, that, it's, that uh, is right. It, it's it's uh, yeah been a fun growing season even with all the challenges. But uh, now we hopefully get to see some of the payoffs of the the management decisions made. Yeah, yeah, it's it's always a, a good time of year and and uh, excited. So thanks for joining us, Jim. Uh, a lot of good stuff here today and. And if you if you guys want to join in and and uh, share some share some results and and uh, share what you're seeing in your fields or got more questions, be sure and hit us up on social media. Uh, you guys know where to find us, and, and we'll be happy to get those answered. So thanks a lot, and and have a have a good weekend, Jim. And and we'll we'll hear back from you again. You too, Brett. Thank you. Thank you for you hosting. Bet. You bet. No problem. Thank you, guys.